0: Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Um, you look great. You sound great. I'm thankful that you're here today. Uh, we've already had a fantastic day. I'm, I'm a little bit wet still from the baptisms and the first service. Uh, I'll preach wet every sunday. That's totally fine with me I also have a wrinkle right here in the middle of my shirt. Can everybody i'm a little self-conscious about it Can we all just be okay with this wrinkle right here? Is everybody good with that? All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate your grace towards me, but uh, hey, i'm so thankful that you're here I really am. There's tons of great things happening today. We've already had a great nine o'clock service We're gonna baptize I think we have 11 people to be baptized at the end of this service, which is fantastic And uh, i'm excited about that they're already baptized, like I said, some folks at nine. And then right after this service, they may be in the room if they are. This is a good spot to woo But if you're going to the Braves game after this, yeah, there's about, about 35, 40 folks, I think, from our youth ministry going to the Braves game. And so I know you'll be kind of watching your watch, but it'll be fine. I'll be done by the third or fourth inning, so you're fine. And uh, and I want you to talk back to me today. I, I I always preach better when you respond. So if you are quiet, it will take us a long time today. So... You talk back, we'll both do, do better. There's a, g- a lot of great things happening in our church right now. Uh, we, we have, in just a few weeks, so we're about a month away from our annual Legacy Maker golf tournament, and this is just an opportunity for us to raise money for some local and global missions, partnerships, and efforts that we want to do over and above our regular giving. And so last year, we were able to sponsor some students through our missionary in Southeast Asia, Johnny Moore. When I went to the Philippines in January, I was able to meet both of those students And uh, they were so incredibly thankful for you and uh, just grateful for our efforts. But this year, we want to continue to do the sponsorships, the scholarships for those students. Uh, But we also want to... We're sending a team to Guatemala, to Casa Shalom Orphanage in September. And we want to send with that team, or maybe even send a little bit ahead of time, uh, at least one or two pairs of shoes for every one of the 100 children at the orphanage there. Kind of an everyday pair and a formal pair, a dressy pair. Of shoes that they might be able to use and wear. And so the proceeds of the golf tournament will help make that a reality. And we'll continue some of our local school partnerships and things through those efforts. But we just want you to help us. So if you play golf, you don't even have to be a good golfer. You don't have to be a pro golfer. You play putt-putt. Like we want you to join, add a team, get in the golf tournament. And if you don't play golf or, or even those that are playing, we'd love for you to connect us to those in your company, your organization that make decisions about donations and charitable contributions. They can get a tax credit Uh, and be a sponsor for our tournament, that will allow us to really multiply our efforts for the things that we're trying to do with the golf tournament this year. So it's gonna be a great time. June the 30th, go and register. Sometimes our church, we wait a little late to register, but because of the nature of this event, we've got to turn in numbers way in advance. So if you will register your team, register to be a sponsor, that would help us a great deal. And then next week, everybody say next week. Next week, we have our one service holiday service schedule. It's always a special time when we come together as a church family and join our 9 and 10.30 services together for one 10 a.m. service next week. is Memorial Day weekend. And I know some of you may have plans to travel and be out of town. But if you are in town, just delay your, you know, whatever you're planning to do for a few minutes on Sunday morning. Come and be with us at 10 o'clock. Uh, and so if you came for 10.30 today, you would be late. So come in next week at 10 o'clock. It'll be a really, really great day. We want you here next Sunday. Today, I am concluding our three-week series of sermons called Way of the Wise. And this month, what we've been doing is we've been talking about the things that we think, the things that we say, and now today, the things that we do. And we're going to look at the book of Proverbs here to start, and then we'll go a couple of different places. But the book of Proverbs really gives us two ideals, two thoughts, two tracks that we can choose to live our lives on. One is the way of the wise. Here's what wise people do. And one is the way of the foolish people, the foolish man And we get to choose. Now, nobody would probably intentionally say, I want to be foolish, but by our actions, we might be categorized that way. And so we go to the book of Proverbs to understand how to be wise and how not to be foolish. Look at this in Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. We've seen some of these verses throughout the series. We'll get all of them together today. Beginning in verse 20 of Proverbs 4, it says this, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before me. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Now, there's so many good thoughts and instruction from God's word, and over the last few weeks, we've looked at thoughts and we've looked at words, but today we're going to look at our actions, the way that we actually live, the things that we actually do. Look at this last part again of what we just read. It says this, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Now, I don't know your church experience, and I use that in like the big C church Way. I'm not just talking about this church. Hopefully your experience at this church has been a good experience, but I don't know what your total church experience has been throughout your life. Maybe this is the only context of church, but some of you, maybe you grew up in a little Baptist church or a Methodist church or a mega church or a really tiny church or you know, some other you know, context of church and faith in community With other people, so I don't know your context, but I know from my own experience—I didn't have bad church experience—but from my own experience and being around church people and in church settings, and some of your stories, that perhaps you grew up in a context or had a context where Christians or people within the church—they—they really made kind of being a Christian about the list of rules that you were supposed to follow, and that's all that it was about. That it was, it was all about keeping the rules and being perfect or striving for perfection. And whenever you messed up, the mentality that you had based on the experiences you had through these other people was that God was like Zeus and he was sitting up in heaven with these lightning bolts. And as soon as you made a mistake, he threw and tried to ping you in the back of the head with the lightning bolt and, and great correction and judgment and, and that that was our view of God. Perhaps that's the way you looked at it because it was very legalistic and judgmental and, and it was about this rules or these rules of religion. And let me just say to you that we do believe that there are some things we should do. We also believe that there are some things you should not do. Not to earn more of God's love, you actually can't do anything for God to love you more than he already does. Before you could ever be good enough, before you could ever show up to church or give a dollar in a, in a good, for a good reason, before you could ever serve or attend a group or, or just do like good moral things, like God initiated love to you. Through the person of Jesus Christ, his one and only son. That's how he demonstrated, showed his love to all of us. So you can't be good enough to earn more of God's love. So that's not why we you know, kind of adhere to rules and law and regulation and commandments through God's word. We actually do it in response to God's love. We say that out of God's love, he did something. He sacrificed his one and only son and in response to that great sacrifice, we are now choosing of our own free will to honor God by the way that we live. That's what we're choosing to do. And so maybe in the context of faith or the context of church or the context of Christianity that you've been exposed to at some point throughout your life, maybe it looked a little different and it felt very rigid and very judgmental and very legalistic. And I, I want to try to define some of those terms for you. Some of, this is just kind of my definition, kind of pulling from scripture and experience this is what it might look like. Legalism is rules without love. It's saying like, I don't love you. I don't want the best for you. I just want you to know these are the rules. You got to follow the rules. You got to stay in the lines and you better not get out of the lines. Like legalism is rules without love. There is an opposite of that. And I would refer to that as something like universalism. That's love without rules. I love you, you love me, we're a happy family, every truth is all truth, there is no absolute truth, like, there's no rule, you set your rules, I'll set my rules, and we'll all get along because we all love one another. That's universalism, we don't believe that either. What we believe is that somewhere in the middle of those two extremes, there is this true Christianity, this true, like, pure religion is what scripture calls it, and what that is is pursuing purity in response to God's love. To say, God, you loved us first. And in response to the best of our ability, we're going to pursue purity. We're going to pursue the kinds of decisions and the kinds of things, the the walking like the wise. We're going to do that in response to who you are so that when people see us, they see you in us. And so that's what we're pursuing is this, this true relationship with God in response to his love. And my goal today, my heart for you, is not to make you feel guilty or to whittle something down to sound like it's just a list of do's and don'ts. But I do believe it matters how we live. You need to hear that from me. I do believe that it matters how we live. We say here that we want to live like it matters because we believe that it does. How you parent matters. How you manage your money matters. How you work on your job, it matters. It should be a reflection of your pursuit of a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That they would see your, his character and nature in and through us. And so what I would say to you is like, it matters how you live. It matters what you do. Look at this in Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 and 16. It says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are evil. The days that we live in are evil. They really are. And, and we know that. You don't have to look very far to see evil that's present in the world around us. But it's interesting to me, and I'm reminded every time I come to a passage of scripture like this, that this was written thousands of years ago. And the Apostle Paul, who's writing the letter to the Ephesian church, he's saying to them, the world is evil. Because if we're not careful, sometimes we, in our context of living 21st century Christians, we develop a little bit of a hero complex Like, we're the only people in the history of mankind that have ever had to face evil and nastiness and vile things in the world. And let me just remind all of us that that's not true. Like, you don't have to go very far into the pages of Scripture to find humanity kind of run amok, like doing their own thing, doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And it continues to get worse and worse and worse. And you could just cherry pick one story from the Old Testament, go to the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. You just go to that one town and you see that that story play out where it was like vile, disgusting, nasty, evil things that were taking place, perversion and evil. Like if you were reading that story and nobody knew that story, they might think you were talking about something that was going on in the city of Atlanta on the five o'clock news because it's just awful, awful types of things. The, The evil that we see in the world now is not the first time there's been evil in the world that's a good spot for you to say amen right there, right? Like I'm preaching better than you're responding is what I'm telling you right here, okay? But I'm saying like, like there's been evil throughout history. There's been stuff going on. And so we shouldn't develop this hero complex that we're the only people that have ever had to deal with evil. Paul's saying, hey, we have an incredible opportunity in the midst of the evil that's taking place, not just to do right and not to do wrong, but to live as wise people not as unwise people, but as wise people, making the most of every opportunity because in the midst of the evil that we see around us, perhaps we would stand out not for our glory, but so that people would see a light shining in us in the midst of darkness. There is something that we're called to do. And again, there's a fine line, but I want us to make a difference. I want people to see something different about us in the way that we should live. We aren't called to isolate from culture. We're called to influence the culture that we live in. That's why we are here on the earth for such a time as this. So how do we live not as unwise, but as wise? I want to give you two quick thoughts. I've tried to trim this message down a little bit because we're going to baptize at least 11 folks. I thought, well, we don't want to be here all day. So I tried to trim this down a little bit. The first thought and how to live not as unwise, but as wise, is to keep perspective. I've already kind of started preaching this thought, talking about this thought a little bit. We've got to keep perspective. We've got to recognize That evil has existed and nasty evil, you know, sinful things have existed all around us throughout history. And the devil, the enemy, is a liar. Another great spot for an amen. You've missed it. I'm going to slow down when I get to those spots. I may raise my hand and that'll be your cue. right? But the devil's a liar. The enemy's a liar. And so in moments of temptation, he's going to try to convince you that no one's gonna understand what you're going through. The temptation or the moment is gonna feel stronger than anything you can handle by yourself. He's gonna try to convince you that you are by yourself and that no one understands. And like that's what he, He's gonna try to manipulate and distort the truth. But let's look at my favorite verse in all of the Bible. I'm gonna look at the good news translation. I love some of the verbiage that's here, but it's great in every translation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, this is what it says. Every test that you have experienced... Is the kind that normally comes to people. But God keeps his promise, and he will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. And at the time that you are put to the test, he will give you the strength to endure it, and so provide you with a way out. Now there's so many great things that I love about this passage of Scripture. Again, in so many different translations, the the wording here is fantastic. But I want to remind us, and some of you that have been a part of our church for a number of years, you've heard me teach out of this passage maybe a dozen times or more, all the way back to student ministry when I was talking to students, middle and high school students, to help them understand the character and nature of God and the character of the enemy that they were facing. But there's three great truths that I see in this passage of scripture, and here's the first. Every test and every temptation that you might face is normal. Now, I don't say that to dumb it down. I don't say that to make it feel okay. Like the book of Romans talks to us about this idea that we shouldn't just be like, oh, okay, well, you know, sin is sin and grace exists, so I can do whatever I want to. No, no, no. But the temptations that we face, the tests that we may face, the things that the enemy tries to use to, to distract us, to trip us up, to still kill, and destroy. Like he's only got about three or four tricks. And they're normal to all of humanity. One translation says that they are, they are common to mankind. It means that whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're facing, whatever temptations come against you, it may not be that the person sitting right next to you is struggling with that same thing, but somebody on your row probably is. Somebody in your section of seats, probably. There's definitely somebody in your G group that is. There's probably somebody on your G team, serving team that probably somebody on your job has those same kinds of struggles. And here's why that's important: not to help us feel OK with sin. But to help us to recognize that temptation is common, tests are common, struggles are common, because the enemy would love to get you to isolate, to pull back, to pull yourself away from relationships. Because he wants you to think that nobody would understand, and if you said it out loud or you talked to somebody about it, they would think you're crazy, you're weird, that your struggle is abnormal. And that's just not the case. And we say all the time that not everybody needs to know your junk. I don't think you walk into your G group the very next meeting and go, hey, here's all my struggles and all my temptations and all my things. But somebody needs to know your junk. There needs to be somebody in your life that you can open up to and say, hey, here's the things I'm going through. And I bet, because I've watched it play out over and over and over again, I bet that somebody in that group or somebody in that relationship, somebody across the table from you is going to go, I'm struggling with the same thing. I've been wrestling with the same issue. I've been thinking those same thoughts because there is commonality to our struggle. They are normal to other people. Here's the second truth. And this one's even more powerful. God is faithful. That was your amen spot right there. God is faithful every time, all the time. God is faithful. So in the midst of a temptation, in the midst of a test, in the midst of a trial, God's faithfulness is there with you. In the translation that we read, it says that God keeps his promises. He always does. His promises are yes and amen. Like he always keeps his promises. He's faithful to us. And the reason that that's important is because it goes on to say that God is faithful. He keeps his promises. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now that's, take, that's been taken and used out of context to, to cause us to think sometimes that we're not gonna have to face hard things. We're not going to have to walk through difficult days. That's not what this verse says. It says that God is faithful. He's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond anything that he's already overcome through Jesus Christ on the cross. So he's already overcome whatever it is that you're facing. John, John chapter 16 tells us that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. His faithfulness to you tells us that nothing you can face, nothing that I can face is too hard for us because he's already Proclaim victory over that temptation, over that sin, over that struggle. And so God's faithfulness is evident to us. And then the third thing that I love in this passage of scripture is that he will always provide a way of escape. What we read in this good news translation says that at the time that you are put to the test, he will give you the strength to endure it and to provide you a way out. He will give you a way out. Now, sometimes that way out is right in the moment, Sometimes that way out is in advance of the moment, right? I used to say it this way in student ministry. Maybe you've heard me say this. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you think this is a terrible example. I'm not sure. All the teachers in the room will be highly offended, I'm sure. But if you know you are not prepared for the test, do not sit next to the smart kid. Because you're going to be tempted to cheat off that kid. Sit next to someone dumber than you. There will be no temptation there. None. So what you do is you, in in advance of the moment, you anticipate what temptation may come and you just don't put yourself in a position where you are more susceptible to give in to temptation. Sit next to the dumb kid, right? Avoid those things. Flee from the very appearance of evil. Like just walk away from the things that you see that you know might become a struggle for you because you know you're susceptible to those things. It's a moment where I've got to recognize with wisdom that God is faithful and he's provided a way of escape so I don't have to stay in this moment. You know, Corey and I, we have four, four kids. They love when we talk about them. One is 18, one is 16, one turned 14 on Friday. Uh, one will be 12 this summer. And so let's just round up and let's call it 18, 16, 14, and 12. So y'all pray for us, all right? But when they were much younger, Corey and I came up with them a phrase that we would say, hey, if you ever get in a situation, I'm not going to tell you the phrase, this is, this is private for our family, but we said, if you ever get in a situation where you are uncomfortable, you're at somebody's house, you're, you're out to dinner with somebody, you're, you're in a situation where you feel concerned about what's taking place, you use this phrase, you pick up the phone and call us. You text this to us once they got so whatever you need to do you get this message to us You say this phrase and we will come running If there are consequences, we're going to deal with those later But what you need to know is our first response is to get you out of that situation And that's what we gave them when they were younger and and it's been used one or two times one I think just to make sure that we were listening. I think they were just making sure we were paying attention You know, but like it's been used once or twice But for the most part like we just wanted them to know you always have a way out Even if you got yourself into that situation, we will help you get out of it. And can I just remind you what you probably already know? You have that same access through our loving Heavenly Father. God is faithful every time. And even if my stupidity, even if our, like, unwise decision-making. We stayed in a relationship we shouldn't have. We went somewhere we shouldn't have gone. We did something we shouldn't have done. Even if we got ourselves into that situation, God is faithful and he will allow us a way out of that situation. There may be consequences. You absolutely may have to pay the consequences for the unwise decision, but you can get out. You don't have to stay there. And you have that same access through a loving, heavenly father. We got to keep perspective. We got to recognize that we are in a spiritual battle, but it's not an even battle. Sometimes when we start talking about good versus evil and we talk about God versus the enemy, the devil, Satan, whoever, what are you want to call him? Like we start to look at it like, you know, two really strong athletes, or two strong teams playing against one another. That's not what we're talking. We already know how the battle turns out. We already know who wins. So the only tactic that the enemy has is to try to manipulate you and distort the truth to get you to choose to be on the wrong side, to get you to choose to be on the losing team. I don't like to lose. I'm going to try to beat you to that back door today. I'm, I'm very competitive. Even when you don't know we're competing, I'm winning. Like that's just, that's just in me, Right? And so I'm not going to intentionally choose to be on the losing team, but that's what the enemy, that's the only chance that the enemy has, is to try to get you to choose to be on his side, and he's going to lose. There's a great reminder in 1 John chapter 4. In verse 4, it says this, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You gotta keep that perspective. You gotta be reminded of that great truth, that nothing you're gonna face, nothing that comes against you is stronger than the one who lives on the inside of you. And so you have to choose to believe that and to, to recognize that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have access to a victorious and conquering king. And so you got to keep perspective. Here's the second thing. you got to keep pure. I told you at the very beginning, I believe this is something we're called to, to pursue purity. you got to keep pure. Yes, Jesus Christ lives on the inside of us, and yet we are constantly challenged through the pages of Scripture to seek purity, not to compromise Who we are we're we're commanded we're compelled. I believe we're called to live set apart to 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 live in such a way that people see a difference In us and I recognize that in the day and age that we live This is not a popular thought But I think deep down we all know this because we've already created dividing lines of behavior We've already chosen to believe that some things are right and some things are wrong who decided that line Well, I believe that that line is not something you and I decide. I believe that there are absolute rights and absolute wrongs. And I believe that the Spirit of God at work in us helps us to know what is right and what is wrong. And we feel on the inside of us this conviction through the Holy Spirit of God that helps us to make decisions that are wise and to abstain from and to avoid those things that are unwise and do not reflect the character and nature of God. As a Christ follower, that line is set Through the Spirit of God. I believe that with all of my heart. This is what we read in Galatians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 16 it says this. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's only two possibilities, to be controlled by the flesh and to be controlled by the spirit. And what we just read is that the works, plural, of the flesh are many, they're evil, and they're constantly changing to match our growing and... Ugly, nasty desires. The book of James says that we're led astray by our own sinful desires. And so the works of the flesh are obvious and evident. And I believe that most of us at our core, we would easily identify like that's, that's ugly, that's evil, that's nasty, that's sinful. We could, we could identify it. And there's a list here and there's so many other things that just look like they reflect the works of the flesh. But on the flip side, the fruit singular of the spirit These different virtues that come out of being spirit-led, embodying the spirit of God, these things are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so in my life, I have the opportunity to be controlled by one of these two things. To give in to my flesh and the desires that I have over and over and over, or to starve my flesh and to feed my spirit and say, God, I want to be led by, I want to embody the virtues of a life that that you are guiding and leading me. And so I want to be more loving and I want to be more joyful and I want to be more gentle and I want to be more kind, but I want to focus here for just a second on that last one. Self-control. Everybody say self-control. Say it one more time just so it sticks. When our kids were little, not just our kids, your kids too, like when our kids were little and, and hypothetically, one sibling wanted to punch the other one for being mean, hypothetically, what would we say to them? Like, no, you control your anger. You know, you don't have to do that. You're not supposed to know. You, you share, you control that you, you don't want to, but you can because it's the right thing to do. And, and we would teach them that they had control of their behavior. We are not robots. Like we've been given a free will. And that free will doesn't just say, like, then go do whatever you want to. Free will, when we are guided by the Spirit of God, actually means that I don't have to do the things that I want to do. Because we were created with a sinful nature and a sinful flesh. So free will is actually me choosing to do what I know is right and honoring of God and not just giving into, like a child, every whim that I have. And so what I would say to you is, as I'm reading through Scripture, I'm just reminded over and over and over again That almost all of the mistakes that I've made in my life, and and I mean these like in the sinful way sinful mistakes, sinful decisions. I I wasn't like in a moment where I had no decision. No, no, I couldn't make a decision. I, I had no choice. I chose to do what was wrong. In those moments, like, God was faithful. I knew what was right because I'd been taught what was right, it was in my mind. But because I had the Spirit of God living in me and there was something that rose up on the inside of me that said, no, don't do that. That's wrong, don't do that. You're better than that, you know what's right. Do what's right, don't do what's wrong. And I made a choice in those moments to gratify my flesh, to choose to do in a moment what felt good in a moment and not worry about the consequences and not think about how those things may play out in my future. But if I'm led by the Spirit, if, I, if I'm saying, like, God, I, wanna, I want you to control and lead and guide my life, I don't want you just to forgive my sins. That's what's necessary. But I also give you control. I'm asking you to be my Lord and to lead and guide my footsteps and lead me in your paths and plan for my life. Like, God, I give you control. Then I get to those moments and I lean into God's faithfulness. and say, God, I have a choice. The enemy's trying to manipulate truth. He's trying to distract me. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy my life. He's trying to couch it up and package it up in a really sweet, nice way. But I know that what he's trying to actually do is get me to to buy into something that would actually be for my destruction. So God, in this moment, I'm looking for your faithfulness here. I'm looking for wisdom. And because I have the fruit of the Spirit, which one of those virtues is self-control... I can choose to do what is right. I can choose. You can choose. And so I'm going to say some things here in the next like 30 seconds. And if your context of church and your context of religion was legalistic and rule following and lists of do's and don'ts, it may sound like something you've heard before, but it comes out of my heart of love for you. I love you. I mean that with all of my heart. If if we've known each other for 15 or 20 years or I haven't met you yet, I'm about to hug you in the lobby. Like I love you. I genuinely do. And even if I don't know you, I love who you can be through Christ Jesus. And so what I'm about to say to you comes out of a place of love. And so it's not legalistic because there are some things that we can choose to do, but out of a heart of love, I hope you hear it this way. Here's some things that I would encourage you to do. Turn off the movie or the song or the show. Walk out of the room. Leave the date early. Switch jobs or stay and say, no, I won't do that. That's compromising who I am. I'm telling you, because God is faithful, there's always a way out. Every single time. And in legalism, it's just about rules. And it's like, well, don't tell me those things. You're not the boss of me. I'm not, I'm not. But if we ask the Lord, the spirit of God to lead and guide our lives. And if we are controlled by the spirit of God, we have self control to say no. When our flesh might want to say yes. It might allow you to get a promotion. It might put you in a relationship that other people look, go, oh, look at that. It might put you in a position or with possessions but you know deep down to your core it wasn't right what you did. Don't get there. In a moment of temptation, recognize that there is no temptation that you face except that which is common to mankind. But God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond anything that you can bear, but he will provide a way for you to stand up under it and a way of escape. And you can lean into self-control and pray to the Spirit of God. God, help me to be controlled here. Help me to do what's right. Help me not to be unwise, but help me to be wise and to honor you in the way that I live. So just make good decisions and honor God. Let's just make good decisions and honor God. It's one of the things that I love about baptism because we don't believe that baptism is what saves you. We believe you've already made a decision to be saved. Ask God to forgive your sins and to lead your life. And baptism is this public expression of that private decision that you've made. And that when you go under the water, that sinful, nasty flesh is being buried. And a new creation is being resurrected to new life. And so when we see that in just a few moments, I want you to clap and cheer. And holler and scream and yell and be excited because these people are making decisions to say like the old me Is going away and there is a new thing being birthed here That i'm going to be led by the spirit of god And here's what I want you to hear from my heart. This is not about perfection You're not going to be perfect. You can't get it all right all the time Nobody that's ever walked the face of the earth was perfect except jesus christ himself And so when you are in pursuit, because that's what it's about. Not perfection, but pursuit. I'm pointing my arrow towards Jesus Christ, chasing him with all of my heart. When you are in pursuit of him and you make a mistake, you're like, God, I know that did not reflect your character and your nature. Please forgive me. I'm just, I'm still moving. I'm not going to get turned around and chase after those nasty things again. I'm not going to let the enemy condemn me or make me feel guilt or shame for those things because there's no guilt or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 I'm just going to keep moving in your direction, God. I'm just going to keep pursuing you. My arrow is pointed towards you. It's not about perfection. It's about pursuit. And so we just chase after him with all of our heart. We say, God, I want to keep perspective. The days are evil, but I've got an incredible opportunity here to be wise and not unwise. And I want to keep pure. I want to pursue purity with all of my heart. So here's what we're going to do in just a moment. If you are already registered to be baptized, in just a moment, when I ask everybody to bow their heads, I'm just going to ask you to stand up and walk out that door and meet us in the lobby. But some of you, you may have come today, and we always give this chance. If you, you came today and you weren't prepared to be baptized, you didn't register, we've been advertising it for weeks, you didn't, you didn't ever take that step. You didn't bring extra clothes, you didn't bring a towel. But you know through our worship, through the times of prayer, through God's word, there's been this still small voice on the inside of you that said something like, hey, today's your day. Don't miss it. This is your moment. When I ask everyone to bow their head, you just get up and you walk out in the lobby. There's a team of people that'll meet you. They're going to give you a t-shirt. They got an extra towel. You're going to drive home wet and that's okay. That's all right. What a great thing to do. But we're going to give you that chance to go public the decision that you've made privately in your heart to pursue God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to ask you to bow your head right now. Everybody in the room, bow their head. If you're registered to be baptized or you're choosing to do so, you can be dismissed to the lobby in just a moment. Your friends and family may join you there. But every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say to me right now, Jeremy, for me, I am not a follower of Jesus Christ. I need him to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? We want to pray for you. As soon as you do, you're not alone. There's already a hand that's been lifted. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm a sinner in need of a savior. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I I just want to be wise in the way that I live. I want to the best of my ability to keep perspective and to keep pure and pursue purity in my heart and my life and to to model the virtue of self-control. Like I just want to be wise in the decisions that I make as I follow Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you lift your hand? So many hands already. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Let's pray together. God, we love you. I thank you for our time today. I pray you've been glorified in our worship. Lord, I pray that you've been honored through the bold prayers that we've prayed to you today. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the holy scriptures that we have access to that reveal your character and your nature to us. So now, God, I pray for every man and woman, young and old, who may have made a decision today to ask you to be their Lord and Savior. God, we believe that in that moment you forgave their sins. And if you did make that decision, I'm telling you right now, just open your mouth and just say, God, forgive my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Make that decision right now for yourself. God, we celebrate now with heaven for those that have made that decision. And we want to equip them and resource them and help them to take these next steps. But God, we thank you for what you already did through Jesus Christ on the cross. God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hand and say, I just want to be wise in the way that I live. I want to model the virtue of self-control. I want to trust God's faithfulness and ways of escape from moments of temptation and trials that come my way. And we rebuke the enemy from everything he would try to do to manipulate and distort the truth in our lives. God, give us wisdom. Let us trust your faithfulness. Let us trust your faithfulness.